Hello, everybody, and welcome to Volume 1, Issue 41 of the Cane and Rinse podcast. The tenth game by Goichi Suda's grasshopper manufacturer, No More Heroes, tells the simple tale of a sociopathic otaku striving for acceptance in California by dismembering a series of increasingly unlikely foes. The Wii game, released in 2007, 2008 worldwide, to some critical acclaim but pitiful sales. Since then, the game has become something of a cult classic and has been rewarded with an HD update in the shape of Heroes Paradise. Joining me, Leon Cox, this week we have Darren Foreman. Whatever happened to those heroes? And Joshua Garrity. Hello there. And a very special guest, a new member of the wider Canarins family, we have Sinan Kuba. Hello, thank you very much for having me on. So, uh, Sinan, you are a freelance writer. Uh, we, your work can be found at such esteemed places as G4TV, The Escapist, Video Gamer. You are the host of the Big Red Potion podcast, and you are also that little bird from Tiny Wings. It's true. I've just had an update as well, which is really exciting. <laughs> HD. You are now in HD, so yeah. marvellous scenes. Uh, any other uh, esteemed organs you'd care to add to that list? Um, there might be a official magazine for a certain uh, console which we're talking about, which might have something I've written next issue. Fantastic. Possibly. Okay. Uh, Sinan's like a real person from the real world, not just an amateur. Oh, no. Right, uh, let's start, as we usually do, with our personal history with the game. Um, I'm particularly interested in Sinan's because it was uh, Tony, Tony Atkins, of course, of Kane and Rince, who said, oh, you must get uh, Sinan on the No More Heroes show because I gather <laughs> he has some very strong opinions about it. Uh, now, I have no idea at this point whether these are very strong positive or negative opinions about it. So this this is, uh, is going to be exciting for me as well. Um, my history is that I bought the Wii version on launch day in 2008, March in, in the UK, in Europe. It was, uh, it was it's had, th- I think it's three different publishers in different territories, uh, Rising Star over here, Ubisoft in America, Marvelous in Japan. Uh, we got the censored version, of course, which we'll talk a little bit about as well. Um, I played it to about maybe the fourth or fifth uh, Assassin um, which will make sense once we explain the plot, but basically you're build, you're fighting your way through uh, ten superior assassins to get to the number one slot, uh, and then I put it down as you do. Then I heard there was an HD remake coming, um, and uh, eventually I rented that on the PS3 uh, last year or earlier this year, last year I think it was, and uh, finally played it through. Uh, Darren, what about you? Well, I had come off of Killer7 um, just not long before it actually came out. And that kind of got me interested in the, the Suda brand, so to speak. And yep. I stole my friend's Wii for a couple of weeks to play it. And okay. Yeah, I mean, that's basically it. You've not played the uh, No More uh, Heroes Paradise? 
I have. I was playing it just a few hours before this podcast. Oh, marvellous. Homework. Uh, Josh? Um, I didn't buy this when it first came out. Um, I bought it about a year after when it was on sale at some shop. I think I picked it up for a tenner. Um, and ever since then, I've kind of been whittling away at it. Um, I'd play a little bit of it, then get frustrated, put it down. And I only completed it this year. Uh, so, yeah, that's my history with it. And Sinan? Uh, I remember there being a lot of, not hype, but like discussion about it when it came out, about it being this Wii game you had to play. So I, I remember getting it a couple of months, I think, after it came to the UK. And um, whilst I, I, I'm really sorry it doesn't go the Kane and Rinse way, I, I didn't quite complete it. I, <laughs> only, uh, um, I, I, think I got to the fourth last assassin okay. um so you know fourth or fifth rank um and i couldn't play any more okay for- well the, this is obviously going to be interesting you see this is the uh the, the plus side of having somebody who uh didn't finish the game beca- because they uh, couldn't play it anymore in that we should have some lively debate in terms of uh opinions of the game or maybe not maybe we'll all agree uh, let's see so i thought the first thing we do and please jump in uh, if you want if you want to stop me just doing a list uh, some of the differences from the original wii version to the uh, no more heroes uh, update so obviously high definition graphics um no extra uh, geometry or anything like that uh got uh, a very sweet mode which was uh, involved the female characters wearing uh, even more revealing clothes basically just lingerie Uh, you can what a gameplay gameplay improvement that you could stock up uh, your special dark side moves which uh, which was quite handy Uh, that's an improvement uh, Heavenly Star, the, the famous Genki Rocket song, was all traces of that were removed. Obviously, one of the, the there were some things that were specific to the the original Wii version that were now gone, such as the fact that uh, quite a touch that I actually quite liked, I thought was quite effective, was the the fact that your Wiimote would act like a uh, a telephone in in the lead up to each fight, and you could hold the uh, the little speaker up to your ear. Uh, that was gone, obviously, on the with the because Move doesn't have a speaker. Uh, there were a few extra jobs added, uh, um, signalling to boats, spinning signs, a kitty race, people bowling, and Buster Coconut. Uh, some extra separate missions were added, and various other bits and bobs. Uh, anything else anyone can remember of significance? I think you covered most of the ones that jumped out at me. Um... Also, it fixed some of the massive loading problems that uh, the original re-release had when it was first uh, ported. Okay, right. Um, and this version, I believe the Xbox 360 version of the of Heroes Paradise didn't come out outside of Japan, or maybe um, did it get as far as America? It certainly didn't come out in Europe, I don't think. No. Okay. Um, and the other thing to talk about, and this is relevant to the original release as well, is uh, the game underwent some quite serious censorship but weirdly uh as i recall the original footage that was shown from the game this was going to be one of those games like mad world and various others that you know was a mature game on the wii which of course translates to lingerie and fountains of blood uh but when it actually came out over here and in its native japan uh it all the blood was gone 
I mean, and really gone as well. Not just, I, I was actually doing some post-recording uh, reading as regards to the Metal Gear Solid 3, and there was actually some censorship in the European version of that, which is still present in the HD version, where blood was kind of toned down and made less vivid and, and sort of less widespread. But in this game, they took all the many uh, sort of, gory scenes and moments and turned the deaths of people into pretty sanitized showers of a sort of weird blocky pixelated ash kind of thing yeah even stranger than that was the fact that some cartels get appendages removed in cutscenes yes and since i didn't see that in the wii when i was playing the sequel later on if those cartels reappeared and they were suddenly missing uh, limbs i had no idea why they why that had happened to them Oh right, okay, yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's a good. And point. it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't until uh, Heroes Paradise came out in the PS3, and then I actually seen it happening as it should have happened, that uh, I knew exactly how it had happened. And some of them were quite graphic, you know, like it, the violence does add a certain holy shit can element. I think it's absolutely crucial from from my experience playing through the 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 weird. The weirdly sanitized, uh, censored European Wii version, it never felt quite right. And I, I, I was always, you know, I was already aware that there was a gory version available in the US, but I didn't have a multi-region Wii to play it on. And, and I don't know, some people were kind of sort of justifying it with, ah, oh, well, you know, it's a kind of weird, surreal game anyway. But part of the whole point of the setting of this game is that you're, you're this sort of sword, albeit electro lightsaber-esque sword wielding assassin fighting others and it's supposed to have this very hypergraphic you know the kind of thing you'd have seen in um kill bill that's you know it's those sort of blood spurts the the very sort of stylized you know japanese sword movie stuff of, of which i'm sure you've seen many darren i've seen a few <laughs> one, one or two um has anyone played both versions and care to comment on the sort of the feeling the difference in the in the feeling of the two uh, prefer one to the other or not necessarily on, on, on the feeling of the different games, but I think it's kind of interesting the fact that there are PS3 and 360 versions of the game when you think of how poorly the game sold on Wii. Yeah. Um, it was, I remember, I think it was quite infamously, or it was majorly reported that Caesar's comments about it not selling on Wii and that he tried to make this mature title for Wii, but the Wii audience wasn't there and, um, and so he wanted to make it release it for for other consoles, or at least that was what he was alluding to, and that's what's happened. But um, it's still one of those things that doesn't really make sense in that, that you know the Wii game didn't sell, so why would anyone try and you know release it for other systems? Because again, it, mm. as it proved in Japan, like it didn't sell on the other system. Is it one of those um, games where its reputation, sort of in that cult classic way, kind of grew over time to a point where? That was definitely that, and also the fact is that it wasn't badly reviewed in a lot of places. I mean, Edge gave it a 9 out of 10, and uh, gave the sequel front page space. Mm. Um, it has a high Metacritic rate. Reasonably, well. yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I, I can understand that sentiment to it, but like with, I think it's something with every season of 51 game, he seems to convince publishers into, into releasing games that don't sell. You can probably do it quite cheaply, you know. I kind of get the feeling there's maybe a little factory kind of element at work at uh, Grasshopper. That's probably true, yeah. Mm. 
Fair so I mean, if it's if it's say a low input, then there's not much risk if it doesn't sell that well, you know. And also, you know, as I'm not saying we we count amount to a hill of beans or anything, but it's interesting that we're probably podcasts like us and like us and other outlets on the internet are more likely to talk about a game which is a bit sort of out there than one which is just a, a very sort of straight down the middle western style hack and slash game, um, which. And and I, I guess over the time, you know, we, we often anecdotally get a lot of people saying, oh, you know, I never would have tried that game if you hadn't talked about it on this show or whatever. Um, and, some, you know, sometimes we put people off. But other times, if you think about the cumulative effect of that word of mouth, because, you know, people want to see something that's a little bit different. And although this is on many levels uh, a simple hack and slash with open world sections, there's a lot about it which we'll go into which makes it unusual if not unique just a warning before we get into the the story and the and the core of the game we may well spoil this game um it's the kind of game you could spoil i would suggest uh although it kind of avoids spoiling itself at the end we'll talk about that as well so you play travis touchdown the ludicrously monikered uh otaku um travis touchdown then uh, he's one of the worst characters <laughs> in any video game ever i resent that Okay, you see, this is where I felt we might disagree. You see, I I also think he's an absolute jerk. Uh, he is, but at least the game can uh, the game really doesn't portray him in a particularly positive light from start to finish. You know, he is probably one of the most universally despised within the video game storyline kind of protagonists that we've ever seen. I, I get that, but the thing is. It's kind of like when I was playing God of War 3 with Kratos. Um, I, I like Kratos in 1 and 2, kind of, but by the time I got to 3, I just, the, the actions he was taking and the decisions he was making is like, well, you do, I don't want to play as you anymore. And I kind of felt the same way about Travis Touchdown. It's just some of the things he said and the way he acted and his motivations were just really twisted and. I I just I didn't like the guy and I don't want to play as him anymore. I, there there are other aspects of the game that I did end up enjoying, but him as a person I just despised. Yeah, it strikes me that the whole thing it very much reminds me of um, the uh, Tarantino scripted true romance where you've got this ultimate nerd geek, um, and the entire plot is about sort of wish fulfillment fantasy of that nerd only where Clarence Worley as played by Christian Slater has a certain amount of charm and charisma Travis is just a complete prick I, I actually think um, he's probably one of my favorite things about the game which it might be a backhanded compliment but um, I, I I think that he the whole point is that the, well you know this, this, this game is a commentary on gaming in itself that that's a, I'm sure something mm. we're going to get into uh, in later and I think um, Travis is, is not just speaking to that kind of uh, sort of geeky, aggressive character, but it's, it's speaking to the geeky, aggressive gamer who, um, you know, will spend all his day shooting people in Call of Duty or killing, or you know, or killing them in, in in a Star Wars game or whatever. And, and there's all these you kind of see all those culture meshes in the way he's designed with his lightsaber sword and kind of hipster jacket and. Um, the the glasses, the hair, everything sort of speaks to this kind of thinks he's cool, uh, but really isn't. And I, 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 you know, there is that kind of 
like you're saying, that wish for one thing with game with him. And I think that's speaking to again to how you know when you look at what the majority of games are like. It sort of lays it bare, doesn't it? It kind of yeah. sets out the the yeah the there's all the the tropes of of what a game is and kind of. <laughs> I think that I think it's attempting to make it make you kind of look at them and and maybe laugh at yourself a bit. But I I wonder if it's the kind of thing where the kind of people who get the joke aren't the kind of people who the joke is most significant to or aimed at. I don't know. That's one of the major problems I think with the game, which I'm sure we'll get into later. But I I, I I'm not sure who the game is actually speaking to. Mm, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he talks about. Uh, I mean, he talks about video games instantly, doesn't he? The the very start of the opening is about. I know a lot of gamers don't have patience, and he talks about being at the deathmatch bar, and he talks about being at the game store. Um, he, I mean, the, the fourth wall is broken repeatedly throughout this game to the point where at the end it's pretty much just yeah, it's just open. Uh, and whether you like that or not, I guess is is a is a matter of preference, but it doesn't feel entirely consistent to me uh, as regards to its intent. It seems to be as as with many of Suda's games, a, a bit all over the place. Again, maybe I don't know. Maybe it's maybe sometimes some of his more subtle stuff gets lost in localization. Maybe no, um, I really don't think so. I think that uh, <laughs> okay. what's there, what you're seeing, that's all there is to it. I think the guy has good ideas. The problem is he doesn't have somebody there focusing his um, mind, if you get what I'm saying. It seems like he's just all my ideas on the sheet of paper. I'm not going to edit anything out. I'm just going to go crazy and put all this stuff in the game. And what you end up with is a game that has nuggets of goodness. And you're like, oh, okay, that's good. That's good. But there's this sea of utter crap as well that you have to deal with <laughs> to get to those uh, nuggets of good he has made games that are more consistent than uh, this one um killer seven is uh, actually legitimately a great game i think but more and, impenetrable to most people i would suggest weird control method bizarre yeah. even more bizarre characters you know any and even um shadows of the damned i think was more consistent than this game um, oh yeah sure i think i think as we, we did a show about that months ago back yeah. back near the start and i think we sort of we said then out of all i haven't played every grasshopper manufacture game um but i think that's the one that certainly had the most sort of uh, the most mainstream feel came closest to being a, a sort of you know something that you could recognize as a as a normal video game and i mean it still stood out from other many other releases that year but um as much as there are no more heroes has a lot of problems i still remember its atmosphere as being unlike anything else and sometimes that's even even if the game itself isn't great it's it's just it's cool that there is somebody doing something a bit different so let's start in uh, he the, he's an otaku as we've established he lived in he lives in a uh, rental motel room uh, which is decked out with all his uh, geeky paraphernalia lucha lucha libre ma- masks and um, what else is he into manga and anime and all the usual sorts of things uh, figurines and things yeah and this is uh, the motel room serves as the menu where you can change your clothes uh, of which there are many to collect different many different t-shirts as well as different colored uh, trousers and jackets and uh, different style sunglasses you've also got your uh, your various laser swords under the bed which as we say very much look and sound like a, 
almost copyright infringing lightsaber, but there's a couple of changes to them which in, ensure that they don't incur the wrath of Lucasfilm's lawyers, I guess. Um, also, the fact that he wanks, he does a wank with it to charge it up isn't something we ever saw Obi-Wan doing. Uh, there's also there's a, a kitten you can play with. You can look at your collection of masks and things you've got. There's a bog in which you save the game. I say a bog for our transatlantic listeners. That's a toilet or a lavatory. <laughs> um, uh, this is one of the sort of more scatological elements of the game is that every time you save, he sits down and has a crap. Um, this kitten is called Jean, which is one uh, we'll discover later is one of many uh, characters in this game called Gene. I think there are three at least, which is something in itself uh, that's unusual. Uh, so you head outside. Actually, the the first the game kind of opens with you already on a mission to kill the number ten guy, doesn't it? I think throws you straight in. Yeah, pretty much. On you, on yeah, your. Yeah, I mean the very first thing Travis says, like actually in the game, is just as he's decapitated someone. Fuckheads. Yeah. So yeah. he kind of kicks in the door and then goes on a rampage inside some Rodriguez mansion. That's right. Yeah, you go around a mansion, don't you? Um, yeah. I can't, that, is that actually the first UAA opponent or not? I can't even remember. It now. is. Um, death Metal. Yeah, Death yeah. Metal is the name of the guy. Um, prior to that, he had killed someone off camera, so to speak. Right. Called uh, Skelter Helter. Aha, uh-huh, yeah. Or was it Helter Skelter? Like, they're brothers. One's in uh, No More Heroes, one's in No More Heroes 2. Okay. But he killed him off camera. Became the number 11 assassin, possibly. Right, yes. And goes out to kill the 10th, and that's where you pick it up. Yeah, so the the backstory, such as it is, is he met this cool chick who he wants to get in with. Uh, well, he wants to shag, basically. This is, your, this is pretty much your sole motivation, although, confusingly, he says, uh, I don't care about titles or power, I just want to be number one. Well, firstly, that's a kind of title, and secondly... His motivation, is it to become number one or is it to shag this uh, French chick, Sylvia Crystal? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, it is. Okay. Am I, overthinking, is yes. am I overthinking this? Um, <clears throat> well, I, to, with, that, with that query, actually, I think, I think it's quite interesting because, um, what was it again? He, he doesn't want titles or, or power. Um, he just, or wants, power. just wants to be number one. You see, again, I think that, that is, again, in itself, commentary on, on gaming in that you... What, what do you achieve by being number one in the game? There's no, there's no title for it, and there's no, nothing to gain. Yeah. But you will be number one. Hmm. So, then it, it, I think titles is a is a poor choice of word because there is there is a status, isn't there, with number one? Uh, titles is I think trying to get at something that means something. Hmm. Um, where I don't know, I, would it be more interesting if he'd said, "I just want to complete the game and have another fourth wall." broken at that point you know just say i want to you know because i won't get to see the end credits if i don't if i don't get to the top kind of thing i mean that's that's sort of how the path it goes down later in the game yeah i think they were trying to establish kind of like the world first though they didn't really want to make it too obvious that he was a complete game carter at that point yeah it's like it's more subtle at the start even though like the opening monologue is quite direct and just later on it goes off the rails you know okay so uh, the the uh, this first mission uh, plays out much like the others, only it's a bit shorter and a bit easier. So this is uh, we, we can talk about the actual the the gameplay here, the actual sword play, which is what you'd figure would take up most of your time. Arguably, it doesn't take up most of your time because that would be the hub world that we'll talk about in a minute. But um, 
So swordplay then, did, did everyone enjoy it, find it satisfying, fun? <laughs> me personally, mm. um, I know Sat, uh, Sinan's going to disagree with me because I already know his opinion on this. Um, <laughs> but I I really enjoyed the combat. Um, I think it's actually the best part of the game. Are you uh, talking about the Wii version, incidentally? Yeah, I'm talking about Whichever one you played, whichever one you played, and but yeah. just just make it clear which one you're talking about. No, I I just I found it really it, it's really simplistic, but for what it for what it did do, I I found it satisfying. I didn't as long when I was fighting the regular dudes, um I didn't find it frustrating at all. I yeah. I actually found it kind of easy. Um, it's only when we got to get to the boss battles, which I'm sure we'll talk about later, um, where it got a bit frustrating. The, the combat engine for me, I mean, it's not what I would call a good one. No. But at the same time, it's it's kind of like a comfort food of combat engines. Yeah. It's, it's, you're just kind of, you're trundling through it. It's it's kind of like visually fun. You're doing enough to be at least moderately kind of like interested and entertained by the game there's a few moves aren't there you can do especially once you've unlocked some of the wrestling moves yeah i mean there is satisfying uh kind of like feedback especially if you've got the Wii, because it's yeah. one of the few games where i felt that just that little flick of motion control actually did that to the experience i agree i agree like slashing left or right just to finish someone off yeah it's there was a little enough of it that the times that it was actually implemented were interesting hmm you know, I mean, you could do it on every enemy, but most of the combat is just standard button pressing. And the thing is, I mean, it's limited, but it's decent. That's really what I thought about it. See, I think it's it's unfair to speak of the, about the combat if you're not speaking about it in relation to the, to the hub world and the fact that that's what you come straight out of and to go into the combat. Because okay. the, the, the hub stuff is incredibly repetitive and then you get into this combat and it's simple i found it simplistic to the point of repetition i mean i i think it's yahtzee in his in his review said it you know it's just a and b a lot and yeah there is a little bit of timing at points and there are the flicks but i completely agree with him i just found it was tapping buttons and getting going through the motions and waiting to get to the thing i wanted to get to which was the boss fight which i think is because of the cutscenes and because of the strategy for me the only genuinely interesting part of the game um i i long corridors um collectibles hidden right at the end of them if you want to go find them every enemy it looks the same attacks the same i i couldn't get on board with it at all hmm. uh darren you, I, I wonder if this uh if it makes a difference what difficulty you were playing on knowing you you played this on a harder setting no i actually just played it on normal okay i, I do wonder because um i played to be honest yeah, I mean, like, generally the true strength of a combat engine comes out as you up the difficulty. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Because it shows you just how much how much you can actually experiment with it before yeah. getting smashed in for using useless moves. Yeah. Um, I don't think this game would benefit from being more difficult. It would just make uh, just make it take longer. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, well, so my half a playthrough on the Wii, I must admit, I did, to a point, enjoy the the actual motion controls. As Darren said, I think there was a certain satisfaction. But when I played it again, on played the HD version on PS3, uh, I didn't have a move at this point. Um, so I played it in with a traditional DualShock controller. Um, and I enjoyed it pretty much just as much um, 
I did slightly miss the finishing moves with with the with the motion control, but it was more than compensated for by the fact that I'd gone from the uh, sanitized, censored European version to the fully blooded uh, PS3 version with all the gore, which which kind of even though it's a very different thing, we're not talking about haptic feedback. We're talking about a kind of a visual. Uh, reward which appeals to that you know that aggressive animalistic lower brain part of my head uh the big blood spurt on every single kill was uh was fun so um and yeah i mean every fight looks like the house house of the blue leaves in kill bill in that regard it's all big wide open spaces mostly there's a few there's a few that take place in slightly different areas and pretty much every enemy you fight as you say is wearing the same uniform often a suit um and they all end up with uh, bossed spleens. Yeah, my spleen. Uh, so that is what they're saying. <laughs> yeah, and they've okay. repeated about 300 times, you know. My per, spleen! Per uh, the other, hair looks like shit. The other, the other entertaining thing that can happen uh, in during these phases of combat is the, the dark side mode. As I say, in the Wii version, you pretty much just, if you got it, it activated and you were stuck with it, whatever happened at that point, I think. In the Heroes Paradise version, you had a bit more control over it, and uh, so different effects would take place. It's a it's a classic Japanese gaming thing to have a slot reel in it at some point. Depending on what uh, reels came up, you might get uh, Anarchy in the Galaxy, or Cranberry Chocolate Sunday, or Blueberry Cheese Brownie, or Strawberry on the Shortcake, and this would uh, have different graphical effects and different effects on the gameplay, um, just to mix it up a little bit generally resulted in as you'd expect from a sort of superpower move it's kind of like uh, Pac-Man's power pellet it basically makes you all powerful and the enemies uh, very weak and very scared quite a few of them that are actually trying to run away from you when you activate it yeah I think there's cranberry chocolate sundae where you're where you're you you lose the ability to run but you just simply sort of slowly walk forwards and you pretty much sort of tear everyone asunder just with with a with a press view press yeah, of your quick time events uh yeah QTEs also QTEs come into play in the wrestling moves so uh at the end of each of these sections ones we're talking about you collect a new uh lucha libre mask am i pronouncing that right luca yeah. lucha uh and that adds another melee move um which on the Wii version involves you waving the nunchuck and the Wiimote in Sometimes opposite, sometimes different directions, sometimes the same. Uh, otherwise, it's analog sticks. And effectively, it's a slightly more intricate animation and a slightly more powerful slam you get each time, to all intents and purposes. Um, but these are useful to use on the bosses, aren't they? Yeah, there's usually a limited uh, window of opportunity where you stun the boss. Um, if you try and keep attacking with a sword, you will lose the opportunity to throw. And uh, basically, throwing does a lot more damage. And blocking is a factor in this game as well, but again, I think that's the, probably the main difference between the lower difficulty settings and the higher is the amount of time you spend blocking and the the, the size of the window of opportunity you get on the enemy. Can you say dodging as well? Uh, I dodged a lot more than I blocked because okay. I, I, because the enemies are kind of crap. Let's be honest. Um, it was it wasn't. I, I didn't find myself in a situation where I really needed to put my defense up. I know it's kind of, it's easy. You just don't attack and hold the Wii wherever, or whatever position they're attacking. But because they're so slow, I ended up just dodging and going straight into attack every time. Okay, so before we go on to the, the list of bosses, 
Uh, let's talk about the infamous Santa Destroy Hub World. Uh, you traverse it either on foot and or on your bike, which, uh, my opinion is that it's probably the second worst handling vehicle in video games history after the car in Deadly Premonition. Yeah. Oh, that's a close one, really. <laughs> There's a lot of bad uh, vehicles to control in video games. Yeah, especially if you go uh, back to, as far as I do, uh, the 8-bit days. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> at least with the De- Deadly Premonition one, you could fix it, which I don't believe you could do to the bike in, in this. You could fix the car? How would you do that? I can't remember. I only found out about after you know playing it for 10 it's hours. A, so I said, I don't, you know, you could fix the car. It's a, um, chop, it's a chop shop. You go there and you can get your original yeah. vehicle that uh, you crashed at the start of the game back. Oh, what? So they don't all just veer off to the left the whole time, then? They probably do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, the bike is there. Um, you can just about learn to control it. It has. Still take out. Uh, that's right. And it has an even more ridiculous um, boost <laughs> if you just if you want to make it <laughs> almost literally impossible to steer at all. You activate the boost. Um, but after a while, after you've been playing the game for for a long while, you do get you do know your way around the town. Um, you're pretty much you're not even you're not penalised for smashing stuff up. In fact, on the PlayStation 3 version, there's in fact a trophy for having knocked over hundreds and hundreds of pieces of crap you know telegraph poles signs letter boxes and all this kind of thing so it pretty much wants you to drive around like a uh, total antisocial idiot and maybe that's the point but i can't help thinking that even if the bike controlled as well as some something out of say road rash on the mega drive it would have been more fun to agree i mean there is that video game mentality here you know i mean it's obviously a completely unrealistic machine which to all intents and purposes behaves more or less like a tank you know yeah it just kind of crushes over anything in its path. So I don't I, think that particularly fluid controls was what they were going for there. I, I think my larger issue with that, I, I didn't have as much problems with the bike as you did, Leon. I thought it was mediocre, but not awful. My problem is that um, that the open world is kind of pointless. And yeah. it, I, I don't understand why. And thankfully, they fixed that in the sequel. There's no open world in that game. But in the first game, it's like all I'm doing is going from A to B. I'm not. There's nothing in this world that's worth exploring. Well, there's lovely cuff balls to collect. There's T-shirts to find. Mm-hmm. There's money. Dumpsters. Yeah. I don't care. Kicking um, the dumpsters open is fun. Uh, but yes. this Travis Touchdown is never too proud to wear a T-shirt that's been pulled from someone's garbage. No, brand new T-shirts from garbage. Uh, yeah, it's like, I mean, the, 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 this hub world is, uh, as I said, I, th- I genuinely think in gaming circles it is infamous because it, it it's pretty terrible. And what's worse is, and some of our uh, forum correspondents will attest to this later, that the game doesn't let you carry on to the next uh, m- story mission, you know, the next member of the UAA, the next assassin, until you have amassed money. And to amass money, you are forced pretty much to play these uh, these job center mini games. Now, and this is you as the gamer coming in, where you've got to go and do a part time job just to. Yeah, so this is what I was about to ask you, uh, clever fellows. Is this some sort of incredibly clever meta comment about video gaming, or is it just a shitty load of minigames? I think it's a meta comment on uh, video games. I just don't think it's a clever one. Um, I was going to say, can it not be both? Yeah. Yeah, well, I think, uh, yeah. 
I say all. That, that's, that's where I am. <laughs> that, that's, that's where I'm coming. I mean, if we could get yeah. back to the, to the open world just very, very briefly. Yeah, yeah. Like, um, the fact that it wasn't just that um, it's kind of pointless. I think for me, it was that there was nobody there and that there was nothing distinguishing different sections. Uh, um, and it did seem just not just pointless, but like deliberately boring. Yeah. And I know that the obvious sort of uh, parallel is, is is Grand Theft Auto and and Liberty City. And mm. um, I think I think what Sud is trying to say, and it's something I would agree with, is that um, it's a very sort of superficial beauty in in Grand Theft Auto. You know, there's a recreation of the world, but there's I did, for me at least, I don't find personality or feel a personality of New York when I'm playing Grand Theft Auto. Mm. I compare it to something to say something like um, something like um, the, uh, the World Ends with You, which is set in Shibuya in in, in Tokyo as well. Actually, um, you know, there's a low, you, you really get the personality of that of that location. Uh, you know, there's it's it's sort of rife throughout the entire game in terms of like the the whole sort of uh, teenage angst, hipster, fashion, music side of things, and there's none of that in in, in Grand Theft Auto, it's just a, a city that looks like New York. Hmm. So I feel like it's meant to be sort of like a, as you know, this is what superficially he sees when he, or what he sees behind the superficiality of, of Liberty City. But to play through it, that's the problem. And this is my whole problem with Super 51, in yeah. particular, No More Heroes, to actually play through his ideas. Is the it... curious thing is that I actually enjoyed just driving around that city, even though it's one of the junkiest video games. And it's just more or less down to the aesthetics, you know? The sky was always blue. It felt very video gamey, and there's this really... It's cheesy as hell, but it's kind of neat, like a, a, a surf rock punk ding, in a ding, 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 ding. Yeah, yeah, the music, is, the music ding, does ding, make ding, it ding, slightly ding, more ding. tolerable. Um, and it does have a certain atmosphere, but it's just a really surreal place. I mean... Yeah. I have no idea. It's, it's apparently it's based on San Diego. Apparently, We're, ten people die of scorpions things every month there. Okay. Uh, where, uh, you know, how much time members of the, you know, either Suda himself or members of the Grasshopper team have spent in San Diego? I have no idea. I've never been there. I have no zero idea. Zero seconds and zero nanoseconds. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's how it looks and feels. But again, there's this. You just you sort of find yourself wondering, was this entirely a deliberate aesthetic? Is this atmosphere that it's got that I say is unique and memorable, but not necessarily? I mean, obviously you enjoyed it, Darren, but it's just kind of fucking weird. It's just it yeah, feels that's really a alien. Lot of that's why I liked it, just because it's a very strange kind of feeling that you don't get. Yeah, like in a lot of video games where they've been polished to perfection, just for you because you're so special. And thus it was just like, okay, open world. Doesn't really work. Eighteen polygons per building. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, trees. Yeah, knocking over palm trees. Yeah, I mean it. It. It, it looks pretty rough. Uh, like the the HD version is slightly prettier, but it also betrays the geometry even more. So it's debatable. And the frame rate was never smooth. Yeah, frame rate's a bit jerky on both, in fact, isn't it? So, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you can get into... I did get into, for a while, there there are items which enable you to see where the collectibles are, as I recall, uh, or some of them, at least. Uh, so you end up locating all these Lovikov balls, which enable you to uh, kind of train your character up some more as well and give, give yourself a better chance in future fights. I did do all that, but that was you could kind of get that done fairly early on. 
but the uh, the in-game sort of financial system, such as it is, is basically you know you need an increasingly large amount of money to fight the next fight. In fact, this is all a bit of a swizz because uh, I think you're being taken for a ride, aren't you, by Sylvia, who's pretty much banking the money for herself. And so there are these job mini games now. The PS, uh, I should say, Heroes Paradise version um, did add a few more. Uh, they weren't particularly any better, but at least there were more of them. But does anyone have any fond memories of any of the uh, money earning mini games? Am I, uh, you know, is uh, is it funny? Are they funny? Are they no, like some funny, kind of clown? Here's the deal, and everyone's going to wonder what the hell I'm on again. But I did enjoy some of them. Okay. They're not great games by themselves, but they kind of tie into that you're putting in a little bit of effort and you're getting a little bit of reward for it. You know, the better you do, the more money you make. And usually, like even with the forklift minigame in Shenmue, I would always be trying my absolute damnedest to get the maximum amount of cash out of it. And that kind of philosophy carries over this game. Yeah. And on top of that, it kind of burrows into that psychology part of the brain where you're like, you'll pop bubble wrap forever. It's just a, a very small chunk of time spent doing something that's got a little payoff, and then you can do it again or you can do something else. So yeah, I did actually enjoy it, apart from later on in the game when sometimes it just took a little bit too much money. I think for me, um, this is the f- these uh, side uh, jobs that you have to do is the first case where I felt like Suda51 was trolling me uh, and the player. Um there no, are several other long occasions where it felt like that. <laughs> um, I I just I found I didn't hate them. They weren't particularly hard. They were just mind-numbingly tedious. And the fact that what I ended up doing was picking the easiest jobs to do, and then just doing them over and over and over and over and over again yeah. until I had enough money. Because if there were if there were any mini games that were frustrating at all, I just didn't bother with them at all. Because I, it was just so dull. I collected so many coconuts. Yeah, so uh, coconut collecting, lawn mowing. I remember looking for cats. Yeah, that was in the. That's, in, that's one of the extra ones, wasn't it? Uh, scorpion removal. Scorpion removal. Uh, was, I was... hated scorpion removal. <laughs> that's because the little bastards would sting you, and you would die. Was this one of the things that ground you down, Sinan? Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm pretty much with Josh, um, but times two or three, I guess. I think I found it funny at first, um, in terms of, like, they were just surreal. They seemed strange compared to the rest of the game. Bizarre control methods, bizarre animation as well, like, really deliberately sort of fucked up controls and animation, as far as I could tell. And, And just the fact that, you know, the rest of the game, you are this assassin killing, you know, hundreds of suited men in these games you're collecting <laughs> coconuts and lawn, lawn mowing and uh, searching for scorpions it's surreally uh, leisurely um, yeah it's funny when you just say it like that but it's another thing when you have to actually carry it out over and over again well that's the, that's the thing that's how you know the first time I'm thinking oh, this is quite funny this is different from the rest of the game the second time I'm thinking oh this is a clever way of talking about you know formulate game design for example or mm. um, mandatory <laughs> mandatory things you have to Side do to quest, get somewhere yeah. Um, and then by the seventh time, you're thinking, as Josh was thinking, now I'm being trolled. Yeah. You know, I, I, I just don't, I don't, I don't, this is the, my thing is, I don't know if you can commentate on fundamental game design by replicating it. 
that's a bad fundamental game design by replicating it. Sorry. I wonder if um, Suda thinks of himself as some sort of uh, Andy Kaufman figure, you know, where he's sort of pushing the boundaries to the point of where, you know, Andy Kaufman would have these infamous all night comedy shows where he would be, you know, reading from a book or just doing the same joke over and over again until by the end people were in genuine hysterics because you've kind of pushed the boundaries of experience or something, you know. I think that Suda wakes up in the morning, there's a massive buster collar in front of his eyes, and then he's going back to bed at night, and he's got no idea what the fuck just happened. <laughs> or he I've might actually, might be really boring, you know. <laughs> I've, I've actually had the, the pleasure of um, of meeting him okay, uh, cool. a couple of years ago. How was he? For, for, um, as you'd imagine, like he looked a bit like Travis Touchdown, actually, um, yeah. in the flesh with, with his leather jacket and uh, his sort of slicked uh, across his uh, across his head hairstyle. Um, this was for Shadows of the Damned. And I remember asking him about the the relationship between the two main characters in that game. And he pulled out this reference to the IT uh, crowd. Yeah, right. Which was absolutely bizarre. And I think that yeah. you just... that. For me, that encapsulates him. You just can't really fathom what where, where he's right. coming from, what he's I mean, thinking, what his references are. Apparently, uh, Johnson was based on Moss from the IT crowd, so it might have been in reference to that. Yeah. I, I, he, he gets he his influences from all over. His, yeah, and, yeah. And, and, I, I, and I think it's very difficult sometimes for us to make the links that he's making. Um, it's also come up before. Uh, I don't know if you have an opinion on this. Uh, <laughs> probably not based on personal experience. We did talk on the Shadows of the Damned show about where we, th- what we think of uh, his attitude to sexuality, and or maybe where he's coming from, personally, in that regard. Any opinions? Anyone who wasn't on the Shadows of Damned show got anything to th- they think about that? You know, based on the the nature of women in in his game and men as well. I'm not entirely sure I should make a snap kind of judgment on this one. No, it's no, nothing you... I've thought about before, and I think it really takes a little bit of thinking before we can kind of. Well, I know Sinan's a, a very deep thinker, so I'm wondering. <laughs> I, I I wouldn't say I'm that. Um, I mean, it's difficult. It's it, especially right now. This is a kind of a big topic in 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 gaming, feminism, and mm. um, sexuality in, in video games and, and tropes. And, you know, I haven't played Lollipop Chainsaw, and I feel like I'd really want to play that before I commentated. But I think in, in Shadows of Damned, there's a very fine line between commentary and just sheer immaturity. And I, I think it dances around that line a lot. I think there's definitely some immaturity there. I mean, generally, they tend to be objectified, but... By themselves, they tend to be quite strong cutters, you know. Hmm. Like, like there's very few weak I, females in his games. I, I, I can't really agree with that, to be honest. Um, uh, especially with Shadows of the Damned, I don't think she was a strong Shadow, female character. Shadows of the Damned is, I suppose you're right there, but I'm mainly talking about this game. Well, e- um, even this. Ge- well, I think I'm talking more about the sequel. But when one of the bosses basically uses. Uh, a bunch of female cheerleaders as cannon fodder, and uh, throw and another one throws Afro uh, black ladies with afros at you just as ammunition um, in a cutscene. It kind of creeped me out slightly. I've and- got to admit, uh, you're entirely right there. The thing is, for some reason, No More Heroes Two has been deleted from my brain. <laughs> it's gonna make it's gonna make the conversation and, later interesting. Yeah, and also, I mean, uh, I've forgotten her name. The French um, journalist um, Andrea, isn't it? That's Sylvia. Sylvia. Mm. Sylvia. Sylvia. Yes. Yeah. She works for the AAC. Um, 
Yeah, no, I, I think found her a completely hollow character as well. Not quite as despicable as Travis Touchdown, but she was kind of two-dimensional. A problem I have with all the characters, both male and female, is that I just don't understand any of them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. They're like, yeah. They're, none of them That's... have any consistent motivation or or reason for being or agenda. They seem to flit from one sort of mood or, or style of personality to another in a second. Um, I mean, Sylvia's a good example of something that's very obvious. You know, she's very obviously inconsistent in that she seems to be stringing Travis along, but then she seems to want to be with him. And then she seems to think he's a dick. And then it's like, I, I, if there's a joke here, I'm completely missing it. That sounds it... pretty consistent with some of my previous girlfriends, man. <laughs> <laughs> from my perspective I, I think um with sylvia like i'd have wanted to see her do more to kind of owning her sexuality and you know kind of being this passive feminist and talking the the guy do all the work for her and do all the menial crap and kind of using him that would made her more interesting and been more relatable to the whole commentary around travis being this kind of loser wannabe number one guy yeah I, he's a loser target you know Exactly. You know, he, he's vulnerable to that. But like you say, Leo, the fact that she does seem to get smitten by him is kind of breaks the whole idea. That's the thing. I mean, that's another thing that I never really quite vibed with in the sequel, you know. Like in the first game, there's not, not really any of that kind of them coming together. It, it just kind of stays in that slightly stringing them along until the very end. And I like that about the first game, you know. Um, let's talk then. Let's go through them quickly, uh, each one. If there's anything you want to bring up about them uh, individually, uh, then go right ahead. But uh, the boss fights are the sort of the thing which hang, the game hangs around, even if it, as I say, if it isn't the thing you spend the most time doing. And I think from a gameplay point of view, I had a problem with the fact that although they attempted some variety within them, there's actually the the fighting of Travis versus each of the bosses was remarkably similar. Again, yeah. maybe on the highest settings, maybe you have to learn more, do more, but you've got a fairly limited move set, and really it does become a matter of beating and beating down on him and pretty much wailing on, on them until you get the opening and just you know, block, block at the right time and raise hell when when you can um and slam them usually as well until the cutscene kicks in but um so you start off with death metal the, the who's got a fairly bad cockney accent should say actually the the cast list um is an extremely well-known one if you look if uh, i'm not going to list them all out who plays who but um robin atkin down robin atkin downs plays travis touchdown and he's been in like he's one of those people who's been in every game ever if there's a character you know from something uh he's probably him um and plenty of the 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 assassins that you fight are voiced by people who you will know from other games, definitely. Carrie Walgren's in there, uh, she of Elica in Prince of Persia fame. You've got uh, Quinton Flynn in there, who's, of course, Raiden in Metal Gear Solid Games. You've got Steve Blum um, and various others. Uh, Kim, my guest, Josh Keaton, Kimberly Brooks, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, all, all very well known. Um, obviously, this game's got this kind of hyper real ludicrous thing going on so it's it's very it's 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 that got that classic video gamey thing of being like a yeah. saturday morning kids cartoon with swearing in it that's the thing i mean it, the custom director was the same as with the metal gear solid series wasn't it chris yeah. zimmerman 
It looks very much like it. I, yeah, um, these are. I mean, these names are. You know, we've covered a lot of games with with voice acting and narrative in, and, and a lot of these names keep coming up time and time again. Eternal Darkness, a lot of them are the same people. Metal Gear games and so on. So, yeah, I guess you know when it comes down to it, there's a relatively small community of talented voice actors who do video game work, and so they do tend to get reused. Um, but that's cool. So uh, yes, first first dude is. Uh, called death metal he is uh he's a sort of uh confused again this sort of he he looks like somewhere between a metaler and a punk and a rocker um and he talks in a fairly unconvincing cockney accent uh nothing too remarkable there so the first he does have a cool uh, sopper he does have a massive sword which ends up stuck in the ceiling yeah with his hand still attached indeed yes uh the next guy is probably slightly slightly more striking and the the whole scene uh in a baseball stadium uh dr peace is his name he looks a little like charles bronson he's wearing a sort of cowboy getup. uh he's got twin revolvers possibly made of gold um and as you enter the scene he's singing uh and a sort of you know a stars and stripes style anthem only the words Go something like this. I'm not going to sing it, but uh, when the wind blows, the virgin child's corpse sings a song, such a pretty melody never heard before. No more lullabies. The virgin child smiles from hell. And he talks about some, uh, he seems to have some motivation relating to his daughter, but it all becomes a bit muddled in my mind. Anyone have anything to say about Dr. Peace? Uh, Next up is Shinobu who is a school teacher and a samurai. Uh, she seems to believe for some reason that uh, Travis killed her father, but in fact her father was Travis's mentor, although only by videotape. Uh, now, Travis doesn't, doesn't kill her. She leaves, he leaves this one alive. Seems like a bad move at the time, but doesn't seem like a bad move at the end. Next up is uh, Destroy Man who is like a is he like a postman or something but he's yeah, also he's a, mailman. a mailman who's also a cheating uh he's a n- naughty supervillain man uh who tri- he's a little bit underhanded yeah yeah he tricks you into a few things um and when you finally take him down he goes out whimpering and begging for his life again uh, machine gun bullets spewing from his nipples that's right nipple guns yeah good point mm. <laughs> Sinan was highly amused by the nipple cannons. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's high, high art that is. Yeah. Um, there, I seem to remember there was something you actually had to do in that fight that was slightly like something in the arena. You had to switch some switches or something annoying, as well as actually fighting him. Each one normally has a couple of sort of little uh, gimmicks to it. Next up is Holly Summers. Uh, she has a prosthetic leg. She's wearing a sort of military get-up, but it's a bikini. It's like a military bikini. <laughs> uh, at the start of the fight, Travis takes four grenades, no less, unscathed. Yet at the end of the fight, when Travis has finally whittled uh, Holly's uh, life bar all the way down, he uh, he disgraces her by not finishing her off so she does it herself by putting a grenade in her mouth which blows her head and torso off and you're left watching um travis hugging this headless torso 
uh, for like a good minute, and then before he gets before the next uh, after the cutscene, and then he has to move on to the next part. It's very strange cutscene. <laughs> it's a very strange fight. I mean, she runs around digging holes in the sand for most of it. That's right. Yeah, yeah uh, I, I found this fight really frustrating, just because. Um, there was so she was attacking you so quickly, and the stuff you had to do to get out of bad situations was so annoying and tedious. Like you had to keep doing all those button combina- combinations to get out of the pits. And That's stuff the like thing. That. I mean, it did feel like an extended yeah, QT event at times. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so again, not not enough sort of quality you know you compare this to other sort of boss uh, this is like a kind of boss rush with a massively overlong uh hub stuck in between it if you compare this to other games with which are heavy on other japanese action games i should say which are heavy on bosses they just didn't never felt like there was enough payoff or variety for for me in the actual fights other than the cutscenes on either side which were yeah. you know occasionally amusing if you like nipple cannons well i think hey, can, <laughs> i think you could compare this game to bayonetta um in terms of <laughs> oh dear yeah. well the thing is it, it's just as ridiculous as bayonetta or trying to be but the thing is bayonetta kind of does everything the way you'd want it to be like the boss fights in bayonetta are spectacular yeah. the combat is brilliant and it and it's actually even though it is ridiculous, it's kind of consistently ridiculous in a, a some weird way. Whereas this feels like it's all over the place. Let's shake. Let's with a Z uh, is a you don't spend a lot of time with him. Uh, you don't even fight him. In fact, this is uh, the next one on the list. He's a Germanic punk sort of character. He has a massive brain and a tank not that kind of tank, a military tank. Uh, rather than you actually fight him, he is taken out just before you are about to by a guy calling himself Henry, who looks like Ian Curtis out of Joy Division, but has an unconvincing Irish accent. <laughs> That's pretty accurate description. <laughs> yeah. I did actually um, find this particular joke kind of funny so did i like, I, I must admit this was, that on, was you, you don't have to be bashful about enjoying something you know just because it's <laughs> no, 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 but might not have hit it. it's to do with everything surrounding it not not being funny yeah yeah <laughs> um no just like the build-up um it it builds it up to be like this epic yeah. like incredibly powerful boss and then it just like oh okay it's uh, an old gag on. but it's quite well executed yeah yeah, and 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 Travis's sense of indignation that his his kill is stolen yeah. uh, is is quite well done. It's also not a gag you typically see in games, actually, as well, mm. because it involves removing a giant part of the gameplay, which is yeah. the boss fight, essentially. So. Yeah, very true. Uh, next up is a stage musician from Eastern uh, m- magician, not musician, uh, Harvey Moisevich Volodarsky. Uh, this boss battle has some little twists in that it's it's taking place on stage. You've actually gone on a date with Sylvia at this point, uh, which, yeah, this is where some of our confusion was from. Uh, some of the fight takes place involving magic cabinets and the stage turn and the, the whole game goes upside down and, you know, various things. But in the end, uh, you blind him. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you slice his eyes out. As open. you do. Yeah, and then and then and then his former assistants um, rather helpfully slice him in half with his own vertical bandsaw. 
Considering how he acted towards them, I don't blame them. Yeah, it's true, actually. His his stage act appears to involve uh, throwing knives at them, but not missing. Uh, but it doesn't kill them. Yeah. Next up is a Speedbuster, which is uh, admittedly, again, an amusing name for uh, what is an uh, elderly dumpy lady with a shopping trolley. Uh, the shopping trolley uh, transforms into a ridiculously oversized cannon. Uh, at the start of this scene, we actually see her blowing up Travis's former master, uh, who dies in a shower of blood or pixelated ash, depending on which version you're playing. Uh, so Travis is more than happy to cheerily decapitate the old dumpy lady at the end of the fight. Anyone got anything to add about Speed Buster? Yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's an interesting kind of like switch up on the traditional boss fight. You know, it's one of the few uh, boss fights in the game that feels like primarily completely different. Yeah, so you have to run down what is an alley, uh, dodging from sort of side to side, doorway to doorway, picking up things on the way, fighting up. Uh, you actually have to fight some of the regular goons it's on the way of, as well, don't yeah, you? Yeah, it's kind of like that bit in Looney Tunes and the Snares when you're in space and then you've got to run behind the walls to stop this big cannon blowing you in half. Or the bit at the end of Eco where you're hiding behind the statues. Ah. Or Journey. <laughs> uh, only not as good. Or... <laughs> Spoilers everywhere. No, sorry, that didn't really spoil everything. Anything. Um, interestingly, well, mildly interestingly, in the censored version, rather than her head that Sylvie comes on and picks up, uh, they've actually changed it to her hat, which is kind of less effective, really. Uh, yeah, it's also less bloody. Much less bloody. Uh, number two, then, is Bad Girl who is an alcoholic, hypermasochistic, fire-breathing baby doll strumpet. Is that a fair description? Yeah, and she's got the yeah. coolest conveyor belt in all the world. Conveyor belt that has... Uh, gimps. S&M gimps, who... Uh, she... Yeah, Josh was saying earlier about using um, women as weapons. Well, in this game, Bad Girl uses men <laughs> as weapons. Very skimpy men at that. Yeah, men in rubber and spikes and shit. Uh, all a bit bizarre. Bad girl. Unless you live for I do. Yeah, true. Uh, bad girl also has a sucker move insta kill, which is always good. Yay! I <laughs> hated that because I, I wouldn't have minded if they gave you enough time to avoid it. But I'm hacking and slashing her yep. and doing damage, and then suddenly she'll drop to the floor, going all weak. And I'm like, okay, I want to get out of this uh, situation. I'm trying to run away, but oh no, too late. Animation triggers, and uh, I'm done. Yeah, the real problem there is that it tends to the the amount of time she performs that move escalates towards the end of the fight. Right. So yeah. after about ten minutes of uh, doing that shit, she'll start doing it constantly, and if one of them catches you, you're right back to the start. Oh, brilliant. Okay, so lots of dodging backwards as soon as you spot that animation even beginning, I guess. Yeah. 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 Uh, I can't remember how many times. So this was... We are, we are now beyond where you got, Sinan. Yeah. I was just going to say, this, this is, I think, a couple of Assassins Beyond where I got, but I did um, find the music from this fight, which I think is called Pleather for Breakfast, and it's particularly cool. It's this kind of uh, bass-heavy electro track. Mm. Um, just... Yeah, easily the or what I heard the best the best music in the game. Which and there is actually pretty good music in the game. Yeah, we still need to source. Uh, we need to source yeah. some music for the show. It's, it is a shame because I mean, Heavenly Star got removed, and that was 
like I got like a ten minute version of that, which it's a repetitive song, but n- it never gets old. Yeah, uh, I, I think most people would associate that more with other games, though. Maybe anyway, Child of Eden. Yeah, it's, it does. It does occur in this game in plenty of uh, places. Like if you go into Naomi, Naomi's lab. Yeah, true. It's playing in the background there. You can watch the video videos. of it on your TV at the at the motel. Uh, well, if nothing else, if that's the only bit we can find, we'll play that. It's certainly relevant to the original Wii version anyway. So then we come on to Dark Star, who is uh, a big man in uh, a horned helmet and a tuxedo, who claims to be your true father. At this point, Travis starts having a f- some kind of flashback in sort of anime, almost anime cutscene. I think it's just stills, actually. Uh, to his parents' bloody death at the hands of a blonde in black underwear. Uh, but this train of thought gets interrupted as Jean turns up. Now, it's where it gets a little confusing. So um, the fourth wall starts getting broken here. Uh, they ref- uh, Travis wants to know what's going on. So this uh, this sort of... She, she, so she's kind of dressed in a sort of cheerle- cheerleaderish style, isn't she? Uh, and she says that, well, she can't possibly explain what's going on because, hey, do you want this game to, to turn into No More Heroes Forever? See, gaming reference. Uh, reference to a Western game as well. And uh, then she goes on to explain, uh, after some persuasion from Travis, what the hell is going on. But in the game, it's all in fast forward. But on YouTube, yes. Now it was telling to me that it was the first time I'd even I was so uninterested in the game by this point that I just didn't care what she was saying. So it's taken me another year and doing this show to actually bother to go to YouTube and find out what she was talking about Uh, because I really it didn't really matter at this point. So hard wobbling till. Yeah, so it involves uh, she's Travis's half sister, and she was abused by his biological father, and uh, some other shit went down. Yeah, you really <laughs> put a donut on this podcast, man. No, no, no. I, <laughs> I was hoping you'd uh, you'd fill it in, but um, well, it's there on YouTube if you want to see it. Um, and it kind of it doesn't really explain anything, but it sort of it kind of gives her a motivation to be really, really nasty. Yeah, that's really all it's uh, trying to do. Was I was reading um, an article just before we we started recording about um, about the ending and how it kind of reveals all the motivations. You know, like it just suddenly dumps this plot which mm. really wasn't there before, and maybe getting back into this idea of Suda's commentary. I don't know what he's trying to say there, but that maybe that he uh, that again trying to talk about why we were actually playing the game up until that point because there really wasn't any plot until then. Yeah. Um, what was the does, why, why the fast forward gag? Because like you won't, you, there's this is not even hidden away in the in the game somewhere. I mean, you can pick out a few words in fast forward, but you're not going to get the gist. What is what do you think he was doing there? I don't see the motivation for that. Probably not going for the hardest rating that you can get in America. Possibly, I don't think they would have liked the yeah. references there. She does allude to that with her. Yeah, do you do you want do you want this game to get an even higher rating? And he says, "Who fucking cares?" or something. Yeah, I don't know because I, I don't know what rating it did get in America. Um, obviously, it was it an R rating or something like that. Okay, uh, it was uh, cut version in uh, ESRB mature. So 
do they go above mature in America? No idea. I'm not sure. This is why we need some American correspondence. Sean's not here with us today. I don't I know if he's record of Americans, and I still don't know that. It's <laughs> pretty bad. Uh, it's probably if if it goes above M, it's probably just banned. That's my that's my guess. Uh, apologies. Yeah, like in, for not... in Japan, they can do the the violence and the bloodshed and the limbs detaching, but then yeah. it becomes serozy and it can't be advertised or shown on shelves. Yeah, it's a very strange business. Uh, I mean, that's a whole interesting topic in itself whereas in in the old days like in the 90s the japanese got the fully uncensored version of resident evil because they were a bit more ahead of us in terms of understanding video games and their audience and stuff like that but then just a few years later when resident evil 4 came out a couple of masks later and it's all back yeah exactly japanese got the censored version and we got the unexpurgated version so yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's just a gag that whole avoid the avoid the higher rating thing, or whether it would have actually had that effect because it does talk about incestuous child abuse and stuff like that, albeit fleetingly. Um, yeah, I mean the thing is, I mean it's kind of it, the, the storyline's got kind of like a funny vibe up to that point. That's mm. some kind of dark shit just to throw into the middle, you know. Yeah. Right at the end too. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and and for me it just all it just now now I've seen that it's like. You know, I, I played it with the fast forward version and, and Travis is doing this kind of hugely exaggerated pantomime of, oh, my God, you know, sort of throwing his head back and sinking to his knees and all this stuff. Um, and when you actually watch it at the at the correct speed, it just looks it's even more ridiculous because, you know, when 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 your half sister reveals your biological half sister reveals herself and also says that uh, your biological father was uh, was a child molester. Is it the idea of doing sort of, uh, you know, um, sort of vaudeville style, <laughs> like, you know, ridiculous gesticulations and stuff just does, doesn't seem to fit. So, again, it just, again, just throws that game that little bit further into the realms of what were you exactly thinking and trying to do? Yeah, just bad shit. Bad shit and sin. I was going to see if we could get to the end of the show about No More Heroes without someone saying batshit insane, but we failed. You oh. failed. It was Come my on, p- that was a losing bet from the start. It, it was my private little game there. You lose. I can about just hear um, Silent Hitashira screaming in <laughs> the podcast. <laughs> uh, well, if we, if we haven't made Paul Rooney scream. Why do you think I said it? <laughs> exactly. Uh, so uh, at this point, uh, you have a big fight. Um, and it's uh, yeah, much the same again, really, only it's contained into a smaller arena by a sort of electrified, big curly electrified sword um, beam, which stops you from getting too far away. Fairly frenetic fight, but really plays out much the same as the others. Uh, and then you get to the ending. Now, the the ending, the standard ending is pretty much you're taking a shit and another guy appears to try and take your crown from you. And that's it. That's... And I think he looks a lot like one of the Killer Seven characters as well. Does he? Okay. Uh, I think he's got he's got a book in his pocket which says Justice or something, but I don't know. Uh, I didn't understand the significance of that. He doesn't last long anyway. Yeah, it's not a cameo. He is a different character. It's just that there's uh, superficial similarities. Okay. Uh, now in the real ending, uh, which. I seemed to get on my first play, but I don't know if maybe they just made it available on the uh, Heroes Paradise version, assuming that you 
knew all about it anyway or something? Because I think you you're, you had to unlock it originally. Does anyone know the conditions for getting the you real ending? To, you had to get all the beam sabers and possibly upgrade them. Oh, okay. I think I did that, so that that would explain that. Uh, the Challenger is uh, cut in half by uh, the returning uh, Ian Curtis, like Henry the Irishman, who uh, says that he is Travis's twin brother. And they start having a massive fight, which is actually, uh, I can't actually remember what happens, but they, they do you do actually have a, an interactive fight with him, don't you? Which, yeah, it's just a straight up boss fight. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty easy, though, compared to some of the other boss fights. Yeah, I mean, it's just kind of like a bonus thing thrown at the end to kind of cap it off. So it's a good thing that it wasn't too goddamn hard. Do you actually kill him? I can't remember. No. No, no. no. Um, You fight to a standstill. Oh, that's right. Of course, it it freeze frames, doesn't it? Um, It's one of those classic Japanese jumping towards each other with the swords out and then a freeze frame. That's right. That's right. Yes, freeze frame, uh, which uh, sort of zooms out to an art gallery where this freeze frame is being viewed by Sylvia and a little girl called... Gene, the third Gene in the game after the kitten and the half-sister. Then Sylvia pretty much says, uh, pretty much talks out, out of the fourth wall, out of the screen to you, says, I bet you want to know what the fuck's going on. Well, too bad, because there ain't going to be a sequel. And then the next screen, <laughs> and then the next screen has to be continued in the Back to the Future font. <laughs> <laughs> now... The sequel. Bizarrely, I didn't even know this before we recorded, and a lot of people said, uh, why are you only doing the first game? And I said, well, it's logistics, really. I haven't played the sequel, and I'm not sure that enough people are going to get around to playing the sequel in time for the show. But it turns out that I'm the only person on the show who hasn't played the sequel. And in fact, everyone's completed the sequel. So, gentlemen, please uh, discuss and elaborate on where the sequel took the game, uh, what changes they made, and was it an improvement or not? Just from a plot point, I I just want to, because it's, I think we need to talk about this just because of the way the first one ends. Um, It doesn't 
actually link in with the first one at all, almost. Oh, okay. And it's it doesn't not a continuation, explain what was there, going on. The thing is, it's not a continuation, but there are very clear triggers in the first game that caused the sequel to happen, basically. Yeah, but um, th- there's a scene at the beginning where Travis actually asks Sylvia, oh, aren't we going to find out what all that messed up crap was at the end of the last game? And she says, yeah, what about people who are just coming into the sequel? We, do- we don't want to explain all that and scare them off. So let's just uh, carry on as if the first game didn't even happen. It's just really, what? What are you doing, Suda? It, it was really... <laughs> confusing to start I really, I really like that honestly because I, yeah. I hadn't seen the ending and um, yeah you would appreciate I, I that get, I didn't care at all I was just very happy to have to you know let's move on and try again which I feel like the second game is so, yeah. it, so what brought you to the sequel given that you, um, your terrible experience of the first game um, because someone else who shared my terrible experience of the first game recommended it to me and okay. I, I, I really didn't believe them but um, I think the reason why I like the sequel, I wouldn't say I love it, but I do like it compared to compared to the first one, which I think I possibly would say I hate, um, maybe very much dislike. Um, the, the the home the hub goes. There's no open world, which um, is huge. There's no mini games, which is huge. You just select missions from a from an overview map. I think if that's right. Is that there right? are there are mini games, but they're completely optional this time. That's right. And they're shite. They are goddamn awful. I mean, when I first heard about them, that they were going to be like little 8-bit NES replica jobs, I thought, this is amazing. And then I played them, and I was like, thank fuck we're not living in that world anymore. I, I preferred them to the original minigames, and I found it a lot, because most of the money was just going towards upgrades, um, I, I just liked just grinding some cash. Just to, It felt... It felt a lot better grinding for cash just to get some unnecessary upgrades for weapons than grinding for cash just to progress through the game. It felt I could rationalize that in my head more than I could with the first well, at game. At least you have the control of choice there, don't you? You know, it's, yeah. you, it's not forced upon you, which I think is really important. Um, I found as well the combat was much quicker in the before the bosses. I just seemed to speed through. Is there any more but, depth to the combat? Uh, Not really. I don't think so. I, I don't think... It, I, w- I wouldn't say depth. There is more variety because getting different weapons, they actually do have different properties. There's one that's more powerful but slower. There's the dual um, Beam lightsabers. Uh, sorry, they're not called lightsabers. What are they called? Beam uh, katanas. Uh, yeah, beam katanas. You get dual <laughs> ones, which are fast and quick, but do less damage. So there is a bit more variety in the combat, but it's not. It's not yeah, any. The, the thing is, I mean, it just even though you're changing weapons and stuff, it still feels so similar. So oh, yeah. very, very oh, yeah. similar, you know. I enjoyed it more, and I, I liked that. Um, I, I think it just this game got to the parts that I enjoyed about the first one quicker. Yeah. Um, it it didn't mess around with all of Suda One's bullshit that he likes to indulge in in the first game. Yeah, it's a um, shame because I liked in, indulging in that as well. You know, I felt that the second one wasn't as quirky. It kind of stripped down to a more a focused experience, but at the same time, it was focusing on stuff that had been done so much better. And other games. I think to kind of really sort of focus what I message was, the first one I think is trying to say a lot of things. The second one seems to really focus on hyper violence. Like that's the big sort of theme 
running through and sort of ridiculous hyperviolence and ridiculous situations of hyperviolence, like you know the whole what is it with the cheerleaders and all that stuff? That's yeah, ridiculous. Yeah. Um, there's there's all that kind of stuff. There's none of the kind of bad game design attempts. Which I mean, there's one thing with the platforming with Shinobu because Shinobu appears as a playable character in the, in the second one for a couple of levels, and you have this kind of platforming sequence which is meant to be ripping on Metal Gear Solid, but it's just worse, which is kind of Suda's problem in every in every sort of sense. But um, it just seemed to to really be more focused, like Dan's saying, and you know that maybe does lose something for some people, but for me it just made it easier to want to stick along for the ride yeah it, i think it had a pace to it as well that the first one didn't have i felt like the first one was very stop start um and that's part of the reason why it took me quite a few years to actually complete it whereas this one i just played it from start to finish because i i, I can't honestly say like it's one of my favorite games i've played or anything like that but i found it pleasant it was enjoyable and I yeah. still have some of the same problems with the characters. I still really yeah, honest, hate Travis. Um, I actually thought the story in the second one was a lot worse because it seemed to be trying to make some kind of point, you know? Like, um, I, I didn't find... I felt, for me, the sequel felt like I'm going to stop trying to pretend this has some kind of meaning and just I actually got go the mental. Exact opposite feeling with that because, I mean, Travis seems a lot more impassioned about the kind of like the interactions with the people that he's fighting and like how Sylvia's basically reacting to all these people dying for their amusement. It just didn't vibe correctly with me, you know? And the fact that there wasn't... I mean, you, you didn't even need the hub world, but it just felt that there was nothing really to break it up. So all that you were left with, instead of this quirky, like, broad kind of game, it was a lot more focused, but it was also a lot more dull for me. I, I had the exact opposite feelings toward it i i just everything about it felt more polished and more enjoyable to me my my issue is that i understand but it's missing some of the stuff that made the first one unique and quirky the problem is i hated all the things that made the first yeah. one unique and quirky <laughs> that, that's really what it comes down to i mean like i played it a lot just because of that kind of quirky unique feeling um gameplay itself is it's fine but if if it's only the gameplay, there's mm. just not enough variety there. Yeah, I think that's what's actually sort of put me off not playing the sequel. Is uh, I kind of feel the same way as Darren in that regard, and that I completely accept what uh, Josh and Sinan are saying that the, the second one is like the technically improved game, but and it, you know it, it reviewed better as well, which is often the case. Um, but I wonder if without all the kind of crazy bollocks that's a bit shit but also a little bit different, it might just be a really mediocre action game. I think it's doing a slight disservice to sort of make it that black and white. I think there is quite a lot of still of the crazy shit, but it's more yeah. kept to, okay. I guess, cut scenes, really, and yeah. the kind of general situation of a boss fight. Like, I think there's a giant Power Rangers. Yeah, like, no, there, there are cool boss fights. There's the boss fight where you basically get, like, a Zord or something and the guy forms all his cheerleaders into a giant robot suit and you have a fight over the city and yeah. it's really easy but it's crazy visually that's the thing i like about the sequel all the craziness is in the visuals and the aesthetic design whereas the gameplay feels much more focused and much more polished i'm intrigued uh, as somebody who has a bit of a, a retro head the uh, mini games are they sort of similar to the ones you find in game center cx or aka retro game challenge on the ds 
trying to think of what the parallels are. They're not. There's. I can't really think of games which are very similar to the to the ones that are in there. Um, yeah. yeah. They're very sort of esoteric and unique things, but they very they much look like your your game center eight bit kind of game. Yeah. yeah. I mean, visually they look a lot like games that you might have seen, but they tend to play fairly differently. And to be honest, I just found them really dull. It's hmm. a shame because it, it's such potential. 8-bit games, you still get very good ones. Or at least if you go back, there's ones that have maintained their mm-hmm. gameplay a lot. And pe- people are still making them for all, all 8-bit machines as well in uh, in the homebrew scene. But, um, yeah, I, I, you know, I think one of my favourite aspects about the entire of the first game was the high score table in between fights and the brilliant piece of retro music. 8-bit pastiche music that played. Uh, and it, more of that kind of stuff would be welcome for me in, in, in a No More Heroes game. Yeah, that, that, that kind of stuff actually wasn't there so much in, in the sequel, apart from mm. in, those, in those games. But the, what, the other big vibe I got from the sequel was the... If you think in the first one, the fourth wall gets broken a lot. In the second one, it's it's transparent. Okay. It's there is there. no fourth it's wall rubble. whatsoever. It's rubble. It, yeah. You know, every single cutscene seems to be involving the player as a, mm. as a character. Which, um, you know, take it if you... I don't think it works or this works for use of a actual verb, but it doesn't really make a difference to me. Hmm. It's also interesting, I think, that uh, it looks like the game came out uh, the same version everywhere, uncensored, Peggy 18... Uh, BBFC 15, ESRB Mature, uh, D in Japan. I don't know what that relates to, but I assume it's much the same. Uh, And also it came out in North America in January 2010 and didn't come out in Japan, in its native Japan, for 10 months. In the meantime, in May, Australia and, and Europe got it. So I guess that suggests that, you know, there were these uh, anecdotal tales of the original game that on launch day in Japan, uh, Suda and, and co sitting there waiting to sign copies with nobody in Akihabara. Uh, signing toilet rolls. Signing toilet rolls. Yes, almost certainly. <laughs> um, and, uh, but yet the sequel comes out in, in North America, 10 months before Jap- Japan suggesting it, it did better in the West. The same kind of people who were celebrating them were heroes are the same people who were celebrating demon souls. Um, in my small mm. circle, that kind of yeah. a lot of a lot of critics who um, sort of cited this this is a completely different game. And Demon Souls famously sold much better yeah. uh, overseas than it did in Japan. So mm. I don't know. Just it seemed to these kind of games seem to speak to uh, particularly an American audience. And I, I, it's not. I don't think when you even look at it that way, it's a surprise actually that there was such a huge a huge cap for the Japanese release. Apparently the, sec- the sequel didn't sell near- nearly as well as the original either, did it? Wow, really? No. <laughs> I guess that does suggest that the, uh, the the original did end up, despite selling, I think it sold like 10,000 copies in its first weekend, I, get, I guess over time, the fact that it had good reviews and, and that cult sort of impetus meant that it has done okay. It's also interesting that the sequel, each territory had the same distributor as the first game, so none of them were put off enough by the you know perceived our outside external perceived failure of the first game enough to not sell the second game through so marvelous ubisoft and rising star all took up the sequel and um maybe they were disappointed in the end with the sequel but they obviously felt that the first game did well enough for them to to warrant doing that let's uh, head over to the forum for a few uh, listener comments on the no more heroes thing uh, if this brings any points up to mind fellows and please jump in dom's beard says as soon as travis shouts fuckhead i knew me and this game would get along great the only wii game for me that made waggling fun 
I even enjoyed mowing lawns, etc., even though it was a bad example of grinding. Fair enough. Andy Kurosaki says, I'm always happy to try something a bit different, and more often than not, I'm rewarded for my effort. Killer 7, Shadows of the Damned, Lollipop Chainsaw, excellent games all. So in theory, I should have had a great time with this. But on the Wii version, I think I only did the second boss, then never played it again. And on the PS3 version, I didn't get much further than that before it got put to one side and never returned to. It's probably because grinding in town to get enough cash to play missions was seriously boring. Mowing lawns, getting coconuts, it hardly got the pulse racing. Once you got into a mission, the combat was fun, but I guess I just couldn't be asked to grind out cash to keep going. If they'd scrapped that entirely, I'd probably have finished it. Oh, well. So, uh, yeah, there's a theme there. And the developer obviously listened to a point because they took all grinding out of the sequel. Is that fair? No grinding whatsoever? And it would have been cheaper, of course. It, it does seem like a concession, which is, I don't know, I, I, as much as I criticise it, it kind of seems, you know, stick. I almost want him to stick to his guns. Make the, just, <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I, I much preferred it without it, but um, it was a statement, I think, in that first game to yeah. define it that way. Okay, this is an interesting one, slightly lengthy one from our regular correspondent, Roy42, but worth reading, I think. Um, He has a very high opinion of this game, I think it's fair to say. He says, I remember it took me a really, really long time to get this game, play it, and complete it. When I originally saw the box, it just didn't strike me as interesting in the least. Oh, a lightsaber waggle game, that's totally what the Wii needs, I thought to myself. It took the recommendations and constant chatting about the game from several internet friends to convince me to get the game, at which point, like every other time this happens, I couldn't find a copy anywhere in town. Once I'd finally found a copy, I played it with the mentality that it could only be really played in short bursts, which fit well with the game, the way the gameplay progressed. I could beat an assassin and take a break, but after Shinobu, I hit a brick wall that kept me from continuing in the game, which required more money than I'm sure existed in the entire game world to get past and there was just no way to get the money at anything close to a reasonable speed so i put it down and didn't play it again until no more hero 2 no more heroes 2 came out after securing a copy of it on launch day to avoid the same issue happening again i realized i should probably finish the first game and after getting to destroy man i couldn't put the game down partially because the avenues to get money had increased partially because i just kept wanting to see what the next assassin would look like Absolutely fantastic game. Crazy pants from the fuckhead start to the too bad there won't be a sequel finish and never compromising on that tone. It's kind of dumb how there's a bad GTA parody of a city where maybe 25 people live that you have to muck around in for anywhere between 30 and 90 minutes between between assassins. But when you actually get into the assassin sequences and get a melodramatic scene with two people taking the entire premise seriously, revealing deep secrets about their characters, getting philosophical, whimsical and existential, all the while ignoring the fact that one or two people in the scene was only introduced two minutes ago and is going to be (laughs) dead in another five, it's just impossible to not love everything that the game is. It's the most video game a video game has felt to me for years and years. One of the best games of the generation. Uh, I don't even think it was one of the best games of 2008, but uh, but I admire... It's a personal thing. Absolutely, of course, yeah. Um, that's what it's all about. Um, I, you know, I, I definitely think it is impossible to love the, the things that Roy's talking about there. The, I, you know, I... I know exactly what he's getting at, the, the, and we talked about it, you know, the thing where characters get introduced and then they sort of quickly try to rattle through their motivations before they before they die. Um, it do, just doesn't work for me, on a, either on a serious or a whimsical level. Strangely enough, I did grow kind of fond of these characters, even though you were killing them off, so I'm definitely on his side there. 
Yeah, and the thing is, even though I didn't think it was one of the best games technically, I do think it's one of the most memorable. And you know, I've just got really fond memories of that game. Yeah, no, I do. I do know what you mean. Uh, after Mike Leddy 83's comment here, we'll we'll give our our own summary of our feelings. Mike Leddy says, "I played Killer Seven and Contra uh, Contact, sorry, in advance of getting No More Heroes, and had high expectations for it. It was the shunt I needed to take the Wii a little more seriously, as I saw relatives praising its games. I'd been arrogantly shrugging off as casual guff." The environments were sometimes too basic, the humour sometimes too juvenile, the minigames for the most part too much of a chore. Even the initial tutorial sections had me a little bewildered, wary of the camera and a bit dizzy from the gonzo approach to anything and everything. Almost every other element of the game whet an appetite long undernourished from earlier years of repeatedly watching Fist of the North Star and Golgo 13. Bosses were a major showpiece. The gore and pretty hot cast of ladies made my PS3 and 360 look like sheltered and censored platforms, and the abundance of collectibles covered all other bases of my primal gaming needs. Even the loading screens became a fairly addictive minigame. The three modes I made from it were a track and field game to make the colours constantly change, one where you have the loading sign bounce to a stop before loading the next screen, and my personal favourite, having it drop from many screens high and rating the first bounce on how many screens it ascended. Easter eggs rarely get better than this. If I remember right, I started the game over at completion up for a four-hour session of speeding through the main game for some equipment. I'd missed to unlock. I'd missed to unlock the real ending. Anybody itching to play this game should get a save file for that second play, as it really streamlines the experience and the payoff for unlocking that ending continues to be a major high point for my recent gameplay endeavours. That was a fantastic loading screen Easter egg, by the way. Uh, bouncing logos and colour changing, yeah. It keeps you entertained when there's nothing happening. Yes, I still have fond memories of the uh, the little Pac-Man wandering uh, f- eternally across the screen on Namco Museum on the PlayStation. Mm-hmm. You could make him go faster and faster by tapping the D-pad left and right. Uh, it's amazing what simple things can keep us occupied between loading. Uh, and as you said, the loading screens on the, the initial release were pretty long on the, on the Wii version. So I guess that's why they put them in. <clears throat> so then, uh, now for you three, you can add your opinion of the second game but yeah just to s- s- summarize your own feelings of each game and would you recommend it and if so which version would you recommend let's start with josh i have very mixed feelings about the first game um overall it kind of comes out kind of a, as a middling experience but not because i found any part of it mediocre more that i love bits of it and absolutely hate other bits of it um i don't know if i can recommend this game there are bits of it that that no other game does and it's kind of charming i i do like the combat and i think the aesthetic design and presentation of the game is really good and i really like it and the, the soundtrack is really good as well but some parts of it really drag the experience down. The mini games are terrible. The open world is—I don't know why it's even in the game. Uh, it's just a mixture of good decisions and bad decisions. The sequel for me is a good game. It's not great, but it gets rid of a lot of the issues I had with the first game, and I found it flowed a lot better and it and it had a better pace to it. And I felt it concentrated on the things that I did actually like about the first game. Darren? It's a very tough game to recommend, unless you know who you're recommending it to. Mm. I mean, if if you're going for the the casual audience, a lot of them will get absolutely nothing of what this game is. 
kind of portraying. Um, they might find the, the gameplay decent, but not much more than that. But for some players, especially ones that have been around a bit longer, there's a good chance that there will be sections of the game that you dislike or despise, or you're just even ambivalent about. But there's also a lot in it that I thought was fresh and interesting. Basically, the game is... It's not perfect. It's got problems, but it's also got a lot going for it, especially if you're... I mean, especially if you're into, like, anime or you've got any kind of fascination about Japanese culture, that kind of stuff shines through this game. Just crazy, crazy madness all throughout. It's got some really interesting ideas, and I would recommend it, but know what you're getting yourself into. That's what the sequel, it kind of killed my interest in it. Succinct. Sinan, then. I'd actually find this very easy to recommend. You know, that's not what you're, you're expecting me to say. But um, Shocker. Shocker. Um, first of all, A, because it's incredibly cheap if you go looking for it. You will mm. find it for, for nothing. £5, I think, is the, the price I saw recently in a, in a game store. Um, and secondly, because... You this know, is a game uh, you said you hated, right? Yes. Well, no, I'd say I probably hate. <laughs> Nearly hated. Nearly hated. And I'll, I'll explain why I'd recommend it. Um, because... Uh, you know, you guys have got an intelligent podcast, and you guys are very clearly knowledgeable. You, you three, and, and all the other uh, Kane and Rinsers, and you know, you. you guys have um, have garnered an intelligent, knowledgeable audience as well. And I feel like, um, like Darren was saying, speaking to the kind of people who have been playing games for a while, and uh, you know, like to play as many different kinds of games as they want to. This is one of those games that you should play um, because it's doing stuff that other games don't, for better or for worse. Um, a bit like Heavy Rain. Um, which I, again, would not be its biggest fan, but I would probably tell everyone to go play. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just one of those games you should play. The sequel is, I don't know, give, if you kind of found yourself nodding along to what me and Josh were saying about it, then may, I guess maybe, but um, uh, you should play the first one first, definitely. And um, yeah, I, I think uh, it's it's unique, which is a lot, a lot of games aren't. Yeah, well said. For me, again, like obviously, I can't talk about the sequel whatsoever. But um, yeah, again, strangely mixed feelings about the first game. Um, it is, yeah, it's probably unique. It does feel unlike most other things that are out there. It has this bizarre atmosphere and ideas. Um, there are some chuckles to be had in there. Um, there is definitely some fun to be had with the sword play, albeit repetitive fun. There's also, as we've discussed at length a lot of crap in there um for me i guess the biggest problem in terms of recommending it to uh, i i totally understand what you're saying sitting about recommending it to gaming enthusiast peers who want to try out things which are different um and so for that reason yeah and as you say it's not going to be expensive to play but the main reason that i don't have a great deal of affection for this game is is the things i alluded to as regards to not having any real empathy for the main character, any sympathy for the antagonists or, or any feeling towards them. Not really any, it's not even that. It's just that as a, well, I was 39 when I played it, but as a 40 year old man, I have no connection with this, this world whatsoever. Um, or, you know, I might be some, somebody might describe me as an otaku in some ways, but I'm not into Lucha Libre. I'm not particularly into anime. Um, like, I like video games a lot. 
but it's just such a weird alien world. And I'm not saying that you can't, you know, get into these things, but generally you have to be brought into fantastical settings, whether it be sci-fi or horror or whatever, by uh, characters with which you can identify and, and I, I don't have that in this and the, the combat in itself is entertaining enough but not enough to drag me into a world that I don't have any great feeling for let's round off with some three word reviews Alexander Dukic loved every minute Blue Swell says pop punk perfection Rich Hoyle 24 Misunderstand the concept of the three-word review, says, fuckhead. Frozen Treasure says, Garden of Madness. Thank you very much. Uh, I'll just do the roundup. You can play along with Kane and Rint's uh, future feature games will include Ghost Trick, Phantom Detective, Kirby's Epic Yarn, Metal Gear Solid 4, Guns of the Patriots. I'm not sure if we're going to be ahead of the announced trophy patch of that one, um, but if... If we are, you can save the show for after you've played it with the trophy patch out, maybe. Uh, the Rhythm Heaven, or Tengoku series, Max Payne and Max Payne 2, The Fall of Max Payne, uh, and a bunch more titles to be announced very soon. Uh, can I just say, you've named five, I think, five games that I love in a row, and you brought me on for this. Well, there you go. Uh, but, I, you know, I was going to say, you know, would you come back on to do a game that you love sometime? So. I would absolutely love to. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you very, very much for having me on. Oh, you're welcome. Uh, our blog is at canerinse.com. Check out our quick rinse videos on the blog or via our YouTube channel. You can follow us on Twitter at canerinse. You can like our Facebook page, which is getting ever better and more busy and features more stuff. Your support via iTunes, subscriptions, ratings and reviews is, as always, greatly appreciated. We are part of the Character Select Network. Join in the discussion at characterselect.net slash forum. And you can email us at cadenrince at gmail.com if all else fails. So it just remains for me, Leon Cox, to thank Darren Foreman and Josh Garrity and special guest Sinan Kuba. Until next time and Ghost Trick, goodbye. Mm-hmm.